Hello everyone, happy 2024. Welcome back to Notes of the North Talks, a series where we get to know our local Canadian composer talent. Today, I'm here with Dr. Vincent Ho. Thank you so much, Vince, for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, my pleasure, thank you for inviting me. All right, so let's jump right in. First and foremost, I'd love to get to know your background a little bit. So where in Canada do you call home? Well, I was born in Ottawa, and then uh, my parents moved to Alberta uh, when I was five years old. Uh, that's uh, at the time my dad uh, got a job in the oil industry, and we were living in a small town called Pincher Creek. Then a year later, we moved to Calgary. Uh, that would have been 1980, and that's where I lived up until 1998. Uh, at that point, I moved to Toronto, did my master's there, then did a year in Banff in 2000. And then I went to do my doctorate in Los Angeles at University of Southern California in 2001. Uh, upon graduation, I was appointed a composer in residence at Winnipeg with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Uh, that was 2007. I lived there until 2015, and then I came back to Calgary in 2015. And so I've been here ever since. Awesome. Is there any place else that you feel particularly connected to and that may have shaped your work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, certainly, I did a summer in Paris, France, uh, back in 1997. I got, received a scholarship from uh, Juilliard to study at the La Scola Cantorum, and that certainly uh, opened um, uh, eyes to uh, a lot of things. Uh, uh, I got to study with uh, Philip Lasser, Narcy Bonnet, and David Diamond, who was uh, running the program at the time. The, uh, and let's see, I would have been 23 at the time. I will also, let's see, I uh, traveled quite a bit. Uh, in Asia, where I was introduced to the uh, art of uh, Chinese traditional instruments and their performance practices and also Chinese orchestras. And so that really uh, made an impact on my, uh, in the direction of my musical language. I was first introduced to this uh, art form, this performance practice in 2012 when they presented um, a Chinese orchestra version of uh, my percussion concerto, The Shaman, and this would have been in Taipei with the Taipei Chinese Orchestra. And so that opened my world up uh, tremendously, and ever since I've been going back and forth uh, to Taipei, Hong Kong, and various areas in uh, Asia. That's amazing. Yes, you mentioned The Shaman, and you also have, I know, The Water Dragon, 12 mm -hmm. Chinese Zodiac Animals. I love how kind of these uh, heritage roots are reflected in your music. How do these inspirations manifest in your creative process? And would you say they contribute to a unique sound? Uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, it started way back uh, when I was uh, doing my doctorate at University of Southern California. I, I was doing a minor in musicology and my uh, thesis was on uh, the um, uh, the musical language of uh, um, uh, bicultural Chinese North American composers of my generation. Uh, and why I specifically uh, uh, wanted to focus on that is because I was in the process of trying to figure out my own musical language. Being a bicultural uh, identity, I was trying to figure out, okay, what is my language? I, I'm a product of two worlds, the Asian Eastern world and the Western world. And so uh, this uh, study allowed me to uh, I guess, identify the distinguishing characteristics of the two creative worlds. And much of the two uh, disting dis uh, distinctions uh, really reflected who I was as a person because I identified with both sides of the world. 
And through my uh, research there, I got to examine a lot of the works of Chinese, uh, sorry, Asian North American composers of my generation. Got to hear their stories, and I also got to um, uh, interview many composers of the previous generation that came. In North America and made a significant from China and made a significant impact in the uh, new music world. Now, just some context: um, China went through the Cultural Revolution, uh, and it、uh, and they didn't open up their、um, uh, their music schools until the mid 1970s or late 1970s. By the 1980s, China was opening their doors to the world as an effort to modernize. At that point, those who went to the music conservatories in the 70s will be would have been graduating in,、uh, at this point in the 80s. It was at that point uh, when um, a composer from Colombia, Cho Wencheng, I believe,、uh, went to China and brought over a, a select few of their top、uh, graduates in composition. And this was known as the first wave of the Chinese、uh, composers that came to North America and made a significant impact on the Western、uh, music scene. And the, this concluded. The Tandun, Bright Sheng, Zhao Long, Chen Yi, and many others. So that was the first generation that uh, uh, that made the, the I guess I guess you could say the、uh, diaspora, the cultural diaspora that、uh, we, my generation, was introduced to. It was music that gave us、uh, insight as to、uh, the music that they were creating while they were in China that they brought over. And so my generation is known as the second generation. Of the Asian North American、uh, composer scene, and so we were highly influenced by that previous generation. And so my study at the time was、uh, trying to、uh, understand the distinctions through their music, as well as hearing the stories of、uh, the composers of my generation and seeing how they were able to reconcile those differences as they search for their own musical language.、Mm -hmm. So, getting back to your question. Yes. <laughs> uh, 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 the whole idea of bringing together Western musical traditions and styles and aesthetics with my、uh, Chinese cultural heritage has always been in, innately there. It was one of the things that、uh, I intuitively uh, felt uh, was an、uh, uh, important part of my creative thinking, and it was、uh, and my music、uh, continually reflects that. Uh, I would say that most of my music is the represents my bicultural identity in many ways. For example, I recently wrote、uh, book two of the twelve Chinese、uh, zodiac animals, and it's a collection of preludes and fugues. So, preludes and fugues is a Western uh, European uh, musical tradition that I you know loved. I you know I used to play、uh, the piano and、uh, Bach preludes and fugues and Shostakovich preludes and fugues. It's something that I you know absolutely adore. And so I felt, you know, what if I were to try give my own take on this、uh, <laughs> on this、uh, art form, and that's where、uh, I guess I brought the cultural element、uh, into my creative thinking when I was writing my own preludes and fugues, and so that represented、uh, the I guess、uh, confluence of the two worlds in musical form. And you see these kind of examples of the, such confluences in many of my works. Not all of them, but certainly a large portion of my works、uh, deal with that kind of theme. So amazing. Well, then, all in all, what would you describe your musical style as if you could only use three adjectives? Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah.、Um, see,、uh, definitely. Okay. Well, eclectic,、uh, expressive, and imaginative. I don't want to、uh, pigeonhole、um, uh, like uh, like uh, certain descriptions no, to my music,、uh, but、uh, I, I'm the kind of person that likes to try new things with every project. In fact, that's one of the criteria's. 
that I look for in a new project is whether it's something that uh, has uh, that will creatively interest me. Or there's some growth opportunity there. If it's something that will open up new doors, creative doors that will expand my horizons, those are the things that I look for. So with that kind of criteria, it's hard for me uh, me to pinpoint uh, what kind of music I uh, or uh, the descriptive words that I would use. To, to characterize my music because it uh, every journey is very different and I have no idea where it could lead to. If you compare, for example, my first string quartet, it's like worlds apart from the Water Dragon that I recently wrote. I mean, it's completely worlds apart. But yeah, I'd say, yeah, eclectic is certainly a word that I uh, use quite often. So Perfect. Uh, well, if you could recommend to the listeners one of your pieces that is a good introduction to your music, what would you recommend? Oh, gosh. And, and yeah, uh, that's a difficult question. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, I'm now 48, turning 49. I've been composing for over 20, 20 odd years. And so my musical language has uh, evolved so much. And so to, when you ask, somebody asks me a question like that, it depends on which period oh, <laughs> of my life. I mean, if, uh, if yeah, exactly. If, uh, if uh, they want to hear an early work of mine, then I would say, yeah, this work definitely best represents uh, the music I was writing at that time. This best represents the period when I was in my 30s. And this best represents the music that I'm currently writing. Uh, to answer your question, I guess... Um, the work that best represents the music that I write now it would be my recent uh, saxophone concerto that was premiered in November by Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra and Timothy McAllister. It's called Whimsical Concerto of Fanciful Birds. And uh, yeah, it's a 30-minute work. I spent a year working, well, actually more than a year, a year and a half working on it. And so that, for me, is a summation of the kind of musical thinking uh, uh, I was that best represents who I am now. So. Awesome. So we talked a little bit about how your compositions connected you close to Asian history and Asian culture. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, what do you see as Canada's musical style, if there is one? Like, if you could describe Canadian composition in, say, three words, what would they be? Well, okay. Now that's an excellent question. It's a question that keeps coming up throughout my uh, life, throughout my life, uh, throughout my career, actually. Uh, first of all, Canada is very diverse. That's one word. Very multicultural that's another and it's a mosaic okay that's three and they all i guess you could say are that's pretty much the same uh, definition but that's highly important because the thing about canada is that uh it's a country that of differences it's a country of diversity and the consequence of that is that because we live in a country of so many differences we are so used to embracing and uh acknowledging those differences now what does that mean in musical form it means that we can as composers we can write whatever we want knowing that it could be um um appreciated by a receptive audience that's used to such eclectic musical styles and traditions and so when someone asks okay well, what's a canadian musical style well there is no real in my opinion canadian quote-unquote style there is a canadian principle and that is the differences that we bring or that we bring to the scene our unique voices that we bring to the scene knowing that it's going to be appreciated by a community or a nation that is used to embracing these kind of differences so that I guess, yeah, that's how I would say it. That's beautiful. How has being in Canada shaped your music specifically? Is there a piece that was really inspired by the landscapes, for example? Absolutely. Uh, the, well, definitely the wide open spaces. 
that characterizes Canada's landscape but plays a huge role. I mean, I lived uh, in Calgary for most of my life, and so being near the Rocky Mountains uh, and in the prairies as well uh, played a huge role in defining who I am. Then I lived in Toronto uh, for two years, and the university is like in the middle of the city center. So that uh, has a different uh, environmental. Uh, that was a different environmental experience for me that shaped who I was. And then I lived in Winnipeg. Uh, for seven years, uh, seven eight years, and uh, being that it's like so isolated, it's like uh, surrounded by nothing but fields. That is also a unique environmental experience for myself. And so each of these cities that I lived in played a significant role of to my musical thinking because of the environmental conditions. But such environmental conditions also um, uh, reflect uh, the social patterns of each city. Uh, I mean. Calgary and Toronto couldn't be any more different, honestly. And so as a consequence, it brought out different sides of me that only those uh, cities could. But also, I love the fact that Canada is so open to uh, multicultural differences or multiculturalism, because that allows me to um, uh, be curious with uh, with experimenting with other musical traditions, other musical styles, other aesthetics, and uh, find my own voice uh, within these, um, uh, these, uh, I guess, uh, concepts. And, uh, that for me allowed me to, to g gives me the freedom to be, to expand uh, my horizons, to explore as much as I can. And also to the, this day and age where you can have access to music almost anywhere in the world with the touch of a button. Um, being in Canada uh, gives me that chance to be able to explore cultural communities that only uh, a mosaic country can can provide. So that uh, feeds into my process. Awesome. Is there any work that was particularly inspired? Uh, gosh, they all did. <laughs> they all are examples. Uh, uh, actually, yeah, I would stick right now, like for now. Uh, my saxophone concerto, uh, whimsical concerto of uh, fanciful birds, mainly because um, it was a year and a half long collaboration with various uh, communities, uh, with the uh, local indigenous community in Saskatchewan, uh, because it dealt with the theme of birds. And so I needed to do some research on the cultural importance and um, significance of birds within that community especially given that it the piece was being performed on their land mm -hmm. also i was uh, uh collaborating with the um uh, uh the the earth uh, environmental science department at the university of saskatchewan to uh, uh gain some insight on the current research there is on bird migration within the canadian landscape and so that also added to my uh, i guess uh, uh, creative thinking and that uh, that um, help um, give rise to the great decisions I had to make for this particular piece. And of course, in the work uh, is embedded my musical language, which is a confluence of the Western and Eastern musical aesthetic in its own way. But that's something that's intuitively already ingrained or uh, intuitively um, uh, a part of my musical thinking already. It's just not something, it's like a signature. You just, I just don't think about it. It's just naturally there whenever I create uh, a musical idea, so. Fantastic. Well, shifting gears a little bit, the music sure. scene in Canada and around the world, especially the quote unquote traditional classical scene is definitely changing. Oh yeah. Uh, have you found it challenging to adapt to these changing cultural circumstances in our modern world, especially with electronic music and technology becoming ever so prominent? 
Oh yeah, uh, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm having troubles. I th I'd say it's uh, just the nature of. Uh, okay, well, let me. I have to think about that. I, I'll be honest, because part of being a, a freelance composer for me is that by the sheer nature of my profession, I have no choice but to adapt to every changing situation. Situation. Especially when I move from city to city, I have to be able to adapt to the local cultural patterns, behavioral patterns, and also um, uh, the values, the local values of each city. And so it's just something that is already, uh, the principle of adapt adaptation is already something that, um, that I'm used to. And so when it comes to adapting to the changing circumstances of the art, uh, of our art form and music in Canada, um, that's something that I am already receptive to. Some people have troubles adapting. I will acknowledge. I'll acknowledge that because uh, the technology changes so fast within like instantaneously. I mean, I have a 11 year old daughter and she's like <laughs> playing on apps and has a certain, um, I guess, a technological advantage over me in terms of uh, being up to date as to what's uh, what's out there and what she has access to. Uh, but that being said. I think uh, for me, I find that having that ability to adapt empowers me as an artist to have control over how I disseminate my music. So what do I mean by that? It means that uh, now I can uh, have access to music resources online, which was there 20 years ago. I have the ability to create my own website, have uh, to share my music on various platforms, let it be iTunes, SoundCloud, my website, YouTube. And so I have more control over how my music, not total control, but more control in the sense that I don't have to rely on other uh, institutions or organizations. I can uh, now be able to put out my music in uh, forms that can uh, that more audiences can reach. Uh, and so that is the advantage of the changing uh, um, circumstances of our art form, is that we are now becoming more and more uh, empowered and taking control over how we disseminate our music and how we communicate ourselves online, especially in this as our world gets more and more globalized almost every day. It's a challenge for many, and I, I admit it can be very exhausting, but at the same time, it can also, the challenges uh, brings out creative thinking that I would not have been um, able to do had I not been forced in that position. It forces me to be put in a situation where I have to think creatively on how to work around new challenges, how to work around uh, certain uh, hurdles that uh, I may be faced. A great example, actually, this is a tremendous example. But 2020, March, I won't forget, uh, I was two days before the Juno Awards, it was in Saskatoon, I was nominated that year. And then that morning, two days before, we all throughout Canada got the notification that it was being canceled because of COVID. And so I was like, oh, well, that's a downer, but I totally understand. But that triggered a wave of cancellations throughout North America and all over the world in terms of uh, concert performances. And so one by one, all many of our, my colleagues and myself, our, con our concerts were being canceled. And we had no idea how long this was gonna last. And so there was a period where I was thinking, oh, gosh, okay, so what am I going to do? Should I, you know, re rethink my career? How am I going to make a living? Uh, is that it for commissions for the next while? To my surprise, a few weeks later, I was starting to get commissions 
from many of my colleagues that I've collaborate, collaborated with in the past. By this point, I've built up uh, a, world, uh, a global network of collaborators. And what I found is that one by one, they were going online with their performances. They still needed to maintain connection with their core audiences, and they were putting their concerts online live, but that also meant they needed new content. And so gradually, I was getting commit more commissions until about two months later, I was getting an avalanche of, uh, of requests to write music. And so I found myself in the fortunate very fortunate position of being uh, one of the few people that benefited from the pandemic and so this was one of those situations where i like uh there was a massive challenge that i was being faced the nature of the concert classical world changed practically but due to my i guess the know-how and the relationships that i built along the way i was able to pivot and find my way around that challenge to continue what i did and so i found myself in incredibly busy during the two-year period of the pandemic, uh, more so than ever before. Uh, so that was just one example where I had no choice but to adapt to the situation, but it was a smooth adaptation because of um, uh, the, uh, the uh, professional relationship that I built up all uh, to that point. So that's just one example. And then there are many other examples that I could uh, cite, but that was definitely one example that really like stuck in my mind, that, uh, given the circumstances that I would, I mean, at the time, if you think about it, if I was told 20 years ago, you know, you're going to be in a uh, it's, uh, position that where you're going to be so busy while this world shuts down, I would never have believed it. I would have been, yeah, you're crazy. I'm like a composer. Like, come on, really? So, um, uh it's almost as if uh it's like being told that uh, uh that you won the lottery i mean come on really come on so those are just uh, that's just one example and i advise a lot of students to try to think outside the box get used to thinking outside the box and take a risk you never know what's gonna what could uh you could benefit from if you just step outside the norm and expand uh your um uh your horizons on what is possible and so by doing that it's not only uh how do i put this and not only opens up new doors of opportunities it also puts you in a situation where you get used to thinking about taking risks you get start to get comfortable with that little bit of fear that comes along with taking those risks and by having that fear actually helps because that fear motivates at least for me it motivates me to be that much more focused on doing the best job i can it's much like how uh say uh, like for students uh the equivalent would be preparing for our final exam there's that element of fear that motivates them to try to do their best and so it's that yeah and so it's a matter of just getting used to that fear but using it as an ally to bring out the best in you so when it comes to adaptation i think that was <laughs> that is the one thing that i've gained throughout my years as a freelance composer is getting used to being um uh, to uh, managing that fear in a healthy way to get me through any challenges that i may be faced some people try to avoid that fear altogether. They they're just they can't handle the fear, so they try to create these situations that are that makes them comfortable, uh, just to avoid that fear. Uh, for me, I find that well, okay, yeah, I understand that you don't want to stress yourself out, but at the same time, a lot of these issues they're going to be there no matter what. So you might as you may as well try to find a way to sit comfortably with that fear and face those challenges head on in a healthy way. So.
Well, that's an amazing way to end off with this message of using your fear as a motivator or intrinsic motivation as a springboard for your... <laughs> oh, let me tell you the story of how that <laughs> that uh, made me shift my thing. It was near the tail end of my uh, doctoral program. Uh, and uh, I was freaking out because I didn't know what I was going to do after I graduated. I mean, I didn't know where my career was going to take me. And after that point, I didn't know what to do. And so I was, you know, getting pretty scared. I remember think, uh, I was in my uh, uh, apartment in Los Angeles and thinking, okay, you know what? I've got a few hundred dollars in my bank account. If I allocated some money to you know, grocery shoppings and if I get a job doing this and this, I think I should be able to manage. But then I realized, okay, what is motivating me to do this? What motivating me is because uh, that I was terrified. I was scared. I was just trying to create a situation to um, manage the fear, to almost like try to deny that fear or avoid that fear. And I said to myself, "Oh man, Vince, you're being a, such a coward." Okay, this okay, this is uh, this is a moment where it's do or sink or swim. And so you better you better like uh, pull <laughs> better like um uh. Pull yourself by the bootstraps and really start taking what you do seriously or else that's it. And so this is what I did. No joke. Instead of uh, creating a safe situation for myself, I decided to my lock away for two months and just focus on trying to write the best music I possibly could. Because at that moment, I felt I was cornered. I had nowhere else to go. I had no out. I was. It was like pretty much the end of the line for me. And so I used that fear that terrifying fear to pour my heart out as if my life depended on it and i tell you what during those two months i wrote the best music i possibly could and it was at the end of those two months where i started winning start uh, winning prizes and the phone started to ring uh, for commissions and that was when i realized okay this is a turning point for me i can't away from these fears. I can't run away from these challenges throughout my life. There are times where I'm going to have to face it and use that fear to motivate myself to do the best job I can. And that will be the only time where, well, no, I shouldn't say the only time, but that, those are the times that I will really learn uh, from the experience, learn what I'm made of, and, uh, and uh, see what can be done when I'm pushed to the limits. And since then, I've grown so accustomed to facing these kind of challenges in similar ways. Now, granted, there are some fears where overwhelm are overwhelming, and that's when I was like, I say to myself, okay, I need to step back. This is too There's much for limit. me. Okay, <laughs> yeah, there is a limit. There, there is a limit. But I know what are those limits are. That's the point that I'm making. Is that it, I felt that I uh, from that experience, I learned what my limit was. I learned what I was able to do once I pushed myself to that limit, carrying that fear with me. And since then, I've been carrying that, I guess, uh, uh, I guess that uh, litmus test with everything I do. And so, yeah, and since then, you know, it's been, uh, it's been, a, how should I say, uh, and a, a very, very amusing and exciting ride. So, Absolutely incredible. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, really appreciated hearing all of your insights and journey as a composer. And of course, for the motivational speech at the end, which is very relatable to every, anybody. Really. Oh, yeah. Like it's applicable to any field. Oh, um, yeah, I think so. Um, and also, I just want to say, uh, you, uh, for young composers, 
I do want to just uh, one thing that they always fear. Well, I mean, fear is is a commonality, and I get that. Uh, but the one thing I try to tell them, and this is important, is that look, no two careers are the same. So stop seeing everything as a competition. Just focus on your in- developing your intuitions and trusting your instincts, and things will smooth out for yourself. One uh, p- other people's failures or successes is not going to impact one's own development. So focus on what's best for yourself. And the other uh, advice I give is to always try to think like an emerging artist. Always. I mean, I'm turning 49, but I consider myself a 49-year-old emerging composer. And by doing that, you maintain that youthful awesome, the curiosity and sense of wonder with every project you take on, and that is important. So. Those, that's my advice. Beautiful.